don't repeat that in public, you'll get thrown to the dogs. They have to succeed. And a, woman, and a man who doesn't succeed, he's on the scrappy. Yeah, that's why men compete so hard. They, they neither tell people about that, nor do they give them the skills. Then he fails to start. And when a young man realizes he's failing in the, what you might call the legitimate world, you try and get them to be aware of what the key skills are for success as a young man. The reality is that the whole of life is determined by women's choices. What is it that I'm actually looking for? We really know life. Sure. But let me say intelligence. Emotional intelligence, social intelligence, financial intelligence. So I believe it's important for each and every one of us to understand the rules that govern any arena of your life. You are listening to The Revenge of the Forsaken Gods, a podcast that explores the human experience and seeks to create a blueprint for living using books, stories, movies, and conversations. And here is your host, Andrew Balongo Opere. All right, my name is Andrew Balongo Opere, and I am your host. And in this episode, I welcome a man who is a psychologist, and he practices both in the UK and Kenya. He is also the author of Single and Searching, How to Find and Marry Mr. Right, and Don't Panic, Life's Missing Manual, Volumes 1, 2, and 3. And without further ado, let me welcome our guest today, Dr. Chris Hart. Hi there. How are you? Good to see you. Yeah, very well, thank you. And you? I'm fine, thank you. Now, I notice on, on your website, it just says Chris Hart. So are you Dr. Chris Hart or just Chris Hart? Yes. No, doctor. Okay. And uh, tell me, how did you... Ever since when you were a kid, did you say that when I want to grow up, I want to be a psychologist? Uh, No, definitely not, because I obviously grew up in the 50s and 60s, and in those days, psychology was practically a dead subject. It was an awful subject. You couldn't go to college and do psychology. It was was all about animal models and behavioralism and all sorts of crazy stuff. It was awful. So I actually became a chemist. Okay. I became a, uh, an industrial chemist and went to work for one of these big multinationals. That's what happened to me as a teenager, a young guy. Yes, yes. So, uh, when you were a teenager, so you said you went to work for? I went to work for a company called ICI, mm-hmm. which is, doesn't exist anymore. It was taken over by AXO about 20 years ago. Yes. But um, it, uh, in those days, Days, it was a huge multinational, and so I was in very much in the chemical industry. I did continued that for about fifteen years. Okay, and when did they change? How did psychology come on your radar? Well, I suppose the simple answer is um, as I got as into my thirties, I began to sort of feel that my values and the values of the company I was working for weren't in alignment anymore. Okay. And so I began the process of thinking, where would I go? Mm. And by that, psychology had become a serious subject. And so gradually, the thought went through my head that I would go back to college and retrain as a psychologist, and that's what I did. All right. So in my 30s, I, I took off, and I actually worked as a, as a consultant to fund my college. Okay. And went to college part-time 
Mm -hmm. And I did that for quite a number of years, you can imagine. Yes, yes. Until eventually I was a psychologist and I went on training in uh, CBT and all sorts of things like that. endless internships. It's a terrible business getting qualified <laughs> as, a, as a psychologist. But that's what happened to me in the late 80s and the 90s. Yes. And uh, as you were learning psychology, what were some of the things that were um, coming to your awareness, you know, just about life or learning about the human condition? Uh, to be honest, um, as I started studying psychology, I'm afraid I was a bit one-track minded. I, I thought I was going to become an occupational psychologist. I'd go back to work in industry, mm. but as a as a as a psychologist. Uh, but what happened was I did some internships, which involved a lot of counselling. And it was all counseling to do with trauma, mostly, in those days. And so I gradually began to realize that there was quite a demand for help with people's lives, mm. particularly, as I say, people who'd experienced very unpleasant things. Mm. And so I gradually began to realize how valuable counseling was and how much demand there was for counseling. And that's gradually how I got steered into it. Okay. So you could almost say that I was dragged screaming into it. You know, it wasn't a plan. <laughs> and what kind of uh, trauma, from what kind of background? Was it from war or...? You know? It was uh, a mixture of everything. A lot of it was crime-related. Mm. Uh, assaults, uh, burglaries, you name it. You know, all that type of thing. Um, and I also worked for a hospital with people who had had really serious health issues and were having to completely replan their lives because they'd had heart attacks or tumors or anything. So I worked with that type of trauma as well. Yeah. And very slowly what happened was that uh, my neighbors got to know that I was a psychologist and they started saying, you know, talk to me about this, talk to me about that. So I drifted into relationships and social skills thing and, and you know, how, how to improve your life in terms of controlling your emotions and, uh, and, and planning your life, that type of thing. So I, that's where I work now, is a mixture of relationships and social skills. All right. And I'm glad that you bring that up. And uh, out of, um, you know, most of the questions that you get about relationships, about life skills, what would you say maybe as of this conversation, the top three things people come to you about? Maybe let's break it down into what do, what do things that men come to you about? What do things that women come to you about? And what do, do you notice that both of them come to you about? Well, they both come to me about relationships, mm -hmm. every stage of relationships. You know, I talk to people who've never had a relationship. I talk to people who are struggling to date, to find people to, to meet and, and do the early parts of relationships, right up to people who are retired and having trouble with their relationships. Um, the things where they differ a lot are basically career related because um, women's and men's experience in the world of work is very different. Um, in particular, for example, the, the world for a man is vastly more competitive than it is for a woman. A, a man, for example, who fails 
in his youth it is literally on the scrap heap. Whereas women can't fail. There'll always be somebody who will pick a woman up. You see true. the problem. That's true. So the, the pressure on men to get established in their careers, to make their way in the world, is vastly higher than it is for a woman. You see the problem. Yes. That, put, that pressure would be very different for men and women. Is that making sense? It's, in fact, it's making a lot of sense to even where it seems women and men don't understand where both are coming from. And Well, I mean, that's always been true, I think. I mean, just at the moment, with the sort of, let's, let's bracket it as feminism, but at the moment there is this perception that women are hugely disadvantaged in society. The reality is that women actually run society and that men get carried along. You follow what I mean? I follow, yes. And, yeah, and if a man doesn't succeed, women, for example, won't have anything to do with him. I mean, why would a woman marry an unsuccessful man? Not even marry, give so attention to. Are, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, in fact, for men, it, it doesn't feel like it if you read the newspapers, but... The reality is that the whole of life is determined by women's choices. And that has an immense effect on the way that men live their lives. In particular, for example, they have to succeed. And a man who doesn't succeed, he's on the scrap heap. Yes, and, and you've, you've mentioned something that I believe we really don't speak about often. The reality that a man lives in a performance-based environment where if he does not yes. perform, he's not rewarded. And that includes being rewarded for attention, affection, which yep. is, I think, it is a very harmful way. And I'm not surprised why a lot of women are unaware of men's needs and the attitude of, yeah, you should be out there working. Yeah, you should be out there performing so that you can be getting my attention. Because if you're not performing... Why should you get our attention? So I believe that is yeah. a major cause. And, and yes, it is. And, you know, it's, it's worth thinking a bit longer about that because it has always been like this. This is not a feature of modern life. Yes. I mean, if you go into the Amazon jungles where you, you come across tribes, people who've never had any contact with modern life, mm. you will find them doing exactly the same thing. Mm. The women in those tribes focus on the successful hunters, the successful uh, competitors, the guys who win amongst the world of men. The thing that women are really interested in is who are the winners? And they're not asking who is the man who is nicest to the women, they are, they're asking which man is winning in the world of men. Does that make sense? It makes a total and, bunch and of sense. Why yeah, that's why men compete so hard. It's why men are so, you know, tremendously inspired by sport, and by competition in the workplace, why they strive to be the boss. It's all driven by that simple fact. Okay. And for a boy or a man that's not given an environment for him to be competitive, probably the father is not there because the father is either spending long hours at, at the workplace yeah. or, you know, whatever factor, maybe the father passed away or the father is not in uh, the family life. From what I've realized, 
human interaction, we learn from other adults around us. Like I'm amazed yep. at how kids learn language, you know, that by the yep. time they are four, five, six, they're speaking at an adult level conversation, yet they don't know the building blocks of language, you know, subject, verb, object. But because of copy paste from the adults they're interacting with, they're competent in that. So I believe that because men lack a competitive environment to groom, probably maybe is the reason why a lot of boys are still boys and not... Yes. I mean, the, 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 the modern term for it is failure to start, isn't it? Mm. A young man who hasn't got good role models in his environment, they don't necessarily have to be his relatives. They might be the guy who lives down the street. Yes. But if he has role models to, to model himself on, then he will learn the skills of succeeding in life. But if all his role models are you know, poor or non-existent, then he fails to start. Okay, so for someone, let's say, that doesn't have role models around them, what would maybe some suggestions that you could give for a boy to start his journey to cultivating these skills? Well, he first needs to know that that is an important thing to do. You know, it's the, if you like, the world of boys tends to be very inward-looking. A boy, say, 10, 12, 14 years old, tends to be focused on the things he likes doing. And so he'll enjoy life, he'll do all the things he's doing, but he doesn't realize that he's got this big hurdle to get over in a few years. He's got to enter the world of men, and he's got to be competitive in the world of men. And so he needs to know that he's got to learn that skill set. And the problem is that when you're a young teen, you tend to think you know it all. There's nothing the world can teach you. And, and your father or your uncle or the man down the road has got nothing to teach you. So the first thing you have to get through these boys is that they actually do have a lot of things to learn. Yes, yes. I mean, girls do too, but it's absolutely critical for the boys. Yes, yes. You see the point. Okay, so let's say I'm a young boy coming up to you and I'm, I'm totally clueless. I think I know everything. Uh, maybe what would be three things that we could start cultivating? If I was a young man that approached you and like someone said, this young boy needs a mentor, he needs to learn how to be yeah. a man, what would you start? Maybe three things. Well, I'd start by telling him what I just told you, mm -hmm. that he is growing into a young adult who is going to have to be intensely competitive. Yes. In other words, if he, for example, if you are in the bottom 40% of the male hierarchy in a place like Nairobi, yes. you will never get married or have a family or have a stable environment because the women will just ignore you. Mm. you see? So he does not want to be in that bottom 40%. Yes. That means he should start pacing himself even while he's at school. He should be ranking himself against his, his colleagues. Okay. And if they're all getting better marks than him at school and they're learning better skills in the sports and the social life, he's going to be the loser. So he's got to start thinking competitively. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Now, you mentioned uh, competitively in academics. You did mention social life. How can a boy make himself competitive in social life? 
Well, first of all, he can't stay at home and play video games all day. He's actually got to go out there and learn the skills of talking to real-life people. Mm. And he's got to start thinking about those social interactions. He's got to, for example, when he talks to, I don't know, just uh, an assistant in a shop, he's got to think about what he's doing and how do I get the best out of this interaction. You see what I mean? Yes. The moment you start to focus on the interactions and winning interactions, then you start on that path of being an effective competitor. Mm, mm, mm. I like that. That's a now, very powerful point. Yeah, you see, a lot of a lot of boys, a lot of boys and girls in their teens have no inkling of how competitive the world is yes. and what its impact is going to be and the skills they need in order to be effective in it. They somehow get the impression from school that if you pass students, everything will work. Well, it ain't like that. That's not, obviously, you know. Yeah, but. Uh... Can you blame us for thinking that way, like I mentioned earlier? No, no, no. The fault is the, the, fault is the schools. Yes, the fault is the schools. They, they, they neither tell people about that, okay. nor do they give them the skills. So now, since we are starting the official school of uh, Dr. Chris Hart, what uh, boy, <laughs> boys and girls need to learn. So for boys, so far we've covered... Okay, fine. You have to be competitive in your academics. Number two, you have to be competitive in your social life. Learn how to interact. Uh, spend less time with yes. video games. Uh, what would be the third thing? Yeah. Well, um, it, it's the second, actually. It's about learning how to go out and meet and interact with strangers. Yes. If you think about it, the world of a child is, is very circumscribed. They know everybody in their world. You then think about somebody who goes out into business. They meet strangers. So one of the things you have to learn is how to meet and interact with and be effective with strangers. Think about it for a moment. Just about every nice thing that ever happens to you in your life starts with meeting a stranger. Hmm. The girl you marry is a stranger. The, the guy who gives you a job is a stranger. The guy who gives you a contract is a stranger. Hmm. You see what I mean? Yes, yes. So the skills interacting with strangers are critical. We don't teach them. Wow. That would be a very interesting course <laughs> to learn and teach. <laughs> so, it's a very important skill, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You, you've hit the nail on the head. So how to talk to strangers and also I think maybe another skill, you know, you can add on to this. Figuring out what you want and now seeing if this stranger that you're talking to is able to provide that. Yeah, very nicely expressed. If you think about some guy who is getting on really well in life, mm -hmm. he will have a number of characteristics. One is he is competitive. Mm. The second is he's got good social skills. Yes. The third is he deliberately goes out and finds the strangers and interacts with them. But underlying all of that is that he is intensely self-aware. He knows what's going on in his head. He doesn't just react to the world, he thinks about where he's trying to go and what he likes doing and where he wants to make an impact. 
and he steers all those interactions with the strangers towards making that progress, making that happen. Mm. Mm. You see what I mean? Yes. So, for example, you imagine a guy who says to himself, I want a job. Well, step one is he needs to think about what sort of job and what sort of organization. And then he starts to need to meet people who are in that area. He begins to know what opportunities are. And he needs to start being known. You know, it's, it's very impressive how the starters are already working, even when they're in school. Yes, they yes. know the people who are in the world of work where they want to end up. You see what I mean? And the other group don't. The, one, the failures to start don't realize that that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what you've said is so impactful because looking back, I can see how, you know, we call them naturals. You know, the people that are just social, you yep. know, like in high school, uh, you know, they're not to talk yep. to the girls, they're not to talk to the employees of the school that, uh, you know, if they need special favors, you know, getting extra bread yep. or things like that, uh, it would be easy for such individuals and it's easy for them to navigate out of trouble, you know, even though they get into trouble. I could start yeah. to see how that translates even into when they become men, they are aware of how to navigate that world, sort of. Yes, that's right. They've early on begun to realize that the social skills are the most important thing they ever acquire. And they start to acquire them. They don't realize, they don't say it out loud, they don't do it consciously. They yes. just start acquiring the skills. So, if you like, if you're creating a school for life, Mm-hmm. One of the first things you've got to do is to inculcate that awareness, the fact that social skills are what make things happen. So, for example, you get an awful lot of kids come out of school with a technical qualification of some sort. They're good at maths, they're good at science, they go and study engineering or mm-hmm. whatever it They come out of the whole educational process with technical skills. They get a job based on that technical skill. They get given a job building roads or whatever it is. And then they get promoted. Now suddenly they are trained to persuade people to cooperate with them, whether they are clients or boards or peers. And those are social skills. And nobody's bothered them any social skills. So an awful lot of people get their first promotion at work and then crash out because Mm -hmm. they're suddenly asked to use a different skill set and they don't have it. Wow. Making sense. Yes, yes. So you said that the first course would be awareness, second, social skills. The first thing, yeah, the first is making sure that young kids, girls as well, yes. are aware that the world is competitive. Okay. They are aware of what they don't know. They think because they've got an A level in chemistry or something, they know all there is to know about work. But of course they don't, they hardly know anything. So they need to be much more inquisitive. They need to be much thoughtful about the interactions that are going on around them. And they need to pick up the skills to negotiate those. And how is a girl's so world... Talent, which is those skills. Mm-hmm. Say, say again? Sorry, I just wanted to ask, how is a girl's world uh, differently competitive than a boy's world? 
Right. Well, think about the teenage girls around you and the teenage boys and watch them. What you see the teenage boys doing is competing. A, a boy's world is hierarchical. There's always a boss boy. And they are, the successful ones, are learning to negotiate that, that hierarchy. Yes? Mm-hmm. If you look at what the girls are doing, they're not competing. At least they're not overtly competing. They compete passively. They compete by being beautiful, by wearing the nice clothes. And they don't realize they're doing it. But what they're doing is they want to be the prettiest girl on the block. Mm. You see what I mean? It's, they, they, don't, they don't go out to learn the competitive skills the boys learn because they're not completely relevant to a girl. Mm. Well, she doesn't... Okay, if she wants to get to the board of ICI or something, she does need those skills. And that's the reason why those girls don't get into the boardroom. You see the point? You need a male skill set. You don't need to be male. You need to have those competitive skills. Is that making sense? Yes, yes. So what you see girls doing is you see them competing passively. That's why girls do so much with their hair and their clothes and spend hours in the bathroom. You see the point? Yes. And at the end of the day, it's a good strategy because they, they ultimately want to be the chosen girl. It's not popular to say things like this out loud these days, but that's where girls are heading you see what I mean? Yes, I agree with you. And I'm not surprised with even the visuals that I see on social media. Women yeah. are competing by, you know, their fashion sense, how beautiful they yes. are. Yes. And even the conversations between men and women, you know, the men will be, oh, yeah, you know, she's attractive in this way. Oh, my gosh, her lips, her eyes, yes. her skin tone, the shape of yes. her body. That's a conversation. But and then when you listen to the girls and talking about the men, they hardly talk about their physical attributes. They talk about his car, his status symbols, his, his income, his job. True. So His social status. Yes, that, that's very <laughs> this is true. It's fascinating, isn't it? That's true. Now, uh, I'd like this to go a little bit deeper. That... The woman knows the kind of person she's looking for. You know, someone that's high up the hierarchy. Someone that has achieved something or is in the process of achieving and has a lot of potential and promise. Outside of physical beauty, what does a man need to look for in a mate or a companion? Well, I hate to say this. I hate to say this, but the real driver is always youth and beauty. And that is pure Darwinian sort of evolutionary things, you know. It's a woman who is young and healthy is likely to have lots of children. Mm-hmm. And so everything that men look for in women is, is geared towards that. With all due respect, everything else is irrelevant. So you might well choose a woman because she's got a nice sense of humor and all the rest of it. <laughs> or because she's doing very well at work, but it really doesn't signify. You see what I mean? Yes. So I'm just, I'm just asking, like, on, let's say you're a competitive male, or let's say I'm a competitive male, and I'm high up the hierarchy, and I have yeah. a pool of women to choose from that are all equally as beautiful as they are to me, 
uh, you know, so the reason I ask this question is the quality of my life will depend on this kind of woman that I choose. You know, I'm thinking more of the her emotional yes. framework and mental. So yes. that's what I'm asking for. What 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 does me as a man need to look for uh, in a woman? After not- after she after she's passed the youth and beauty hmm. sort of criteria, yes. the next thing you should be looking for would be relationship skills. A woman who understands how to interact with a spouse. Now, it's it's a fact that a lot of women are very skillful at relationship skills, mm. spousal-type relationship skills. Mm. And, of course, men aren't. Men have gone out and learned how to be competitors. They haven't learned how to look after a wife. True. And so that leads to a lot of the hassle we get in relationships, you know? Yeah, that's a totally different skill. So the woman goes looking for a man who is a highly successful competitor, and almost by definition, he'll be lousy at relationships. Mm, mm, mm. Now, the best way for a man to compensate is to look for a woman who is good at relationships. If he chooses a competitor, a woman who's climbing the social tree, of course, everything will fall apart. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Don't repeat that in public. You'll get thrown to the dogs. <laughs> I am aware, but that's the whole purpose of this podcast: is to explore behavior without judgment, saying it's good or bad. But I'm just trying to make sense of be of certain behaviors, and even just what you're sharing makes sense to me. And I wish I could have been told this, I would have given this to my 15-year self in Form 1, yeah, you know, yeah. go racing. It would have made a big difference. It would have made a very big difference. <laughs> I would have known that I would compete in every social activity in school, you know, athletics, you know, my studies, yeah. I was okay. Yeah. You know, uh, learning how to interact with strangers and recognizing social skills are very important, but also not feeling bad because of the hierarchy structure manhood is. So, uh, you know, that's just very uh, eye-opening. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm treating this as the information I would give myself when I was younger. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. And if you were thinking of designing YouTube videos for teenage boys, hmm. these would be the things that you would try and emphasize. You try and get them to be aware of what the key skills are for success as a young man. It's incidentally worth thinking about what happens to the boys who don't make it. You know, the ones who haven't got those skills. They've often not got them because they've had a bad background or, you know, all sorts of reasons. But the upshot of it all is that they realize they're failing. And when a young man realizes he's failing, in the what you might call the legitimate world. Of course, he turns to the world of crime. So if I can't earn enough money to impress the women, maybe I should it instead. And so it's not an accident that almost all the crime is committed by young, unmarried men. And they are basically the ones who realize that they're failing in that hierarchy. Do you see what I mean? The guy who knows he's succeeding has no need to be a criminal. Sure, sure. He's winning. And what you've said is so powerful, and I believe 
because we've not recognized how our society is built for competitive hierarchiness and only rewarding the winners, the losers don't have a place to go. So, and, and that's why I noticed certain entities are starting to thrive now, you know, terrorist groups, gangs, whoever, because they're recruiting those who don't have hope because you don't see yeah. the regular. That's right. If you're winning regularly in the society, you're generally not going to enter such groups. No, but if you don't right. have any other option, that's right. where else are you going to thrive? This is giving me a platform for why I can thrive. And they're allowing me to use force. So maybe shouldn't this be a question of we should check how we are creating our competitive environment? Because when I look at developing nation, uh, developed nations, for example, like Europe, the U.S., you can see how even though it's competitive, it's not cutthroat in the sense that your success is not going to take away from me or someone at the bottom. Someone can still climb up easily. What I noticed, though, in developing countries, access to climb up the hierarchy or even resources is sort of tied into politics. That if you happen to be connected with anyone within the political sphere, your life will be changed and you'll have access to resources and resourcefulness. And if you don't have that... Tough luck for you. So then I believe... I'm afraid, I'm afraid that for the people who are in those political hierarchies, it's not in their best interests to pass the, shall we say, the resources down the chain. And that's why they behave the way they do. They always say they're providing help for the disadvantaged, but in reality they're not. Because actually their lives are better if they keep them there. You see what I mean? But my question is, even though that may be true, if I compare these developed nations, I can never reach the level, let's say, any of those politicians are because they're too way ahead. So, but I notice in developed nations, the, the, the playing field is still open, that I can still climb up the ladder and I'll still not be a threat to them compared to here, where if right now, let's say, they decided to allow the economy to flourish, there's no way I'll reach up to their level, even though, you know, I become successful, monetarily or resourceful-wise. So I'm still not a threat, so I don't understand why there's a suppression. Do you get what I mean? I do. Um, I think there's two things going on here. Mm-hmm. I think every society has a tendency to drift towards inequality. Okay. Every time an interaction occurs in which money changes hands, for example, it always it's always biased slightly to, to the richer guy. So the rich get richer and the poor get richer. Now, the one thing that marks out the developed countries from the less developed countries is that there is something correcting that bias. There is a process of redistribution, taking the wealth out again to the people who are at the other end of the spectrum. Now that doesn't occur in less developed countries. It simply doesn't occur. So the rich get richer and richer and richer. You see the problem? Yes, I see the problem. And, and 
I can see this contributing to now for those who, like we mentioned earlier, if you're a loser, you'll tend to join gangs or a group where you can function. It seems that unfortunately this economy or the way developing countries are, are, are doing their uh, economy is creating a lot of mental pressure, which I'm not surprised a lot of people have mental health issues, anger, depression. So how would someone yeah. even navigate in a healthy manner, you know, with their mind in such an economy? Because even what you're saying, let's be honest, if I was to start cultivating, you know, the path to success, it'll take time, at least five years for, for, for me to see some real fruits. But in the meantime, what can I do to make my mental health okay, that I'm not depressed? Because, you know, I'm being mistreated, like you said, by the hierarchy people on top. You know, my boss will mistreat me. You know, the ladies are not looking at me until I, I, I get the car, the home, whatever. And, you know, just my, my general environment will not be supportive, except maybe for the family, depending, you know? Mm. How can someone keep their sanity and keep their mental health okay? I mean, in a, in a perfect world, of course, that support comes from immediate family. If, if the family is not there, then you look to institutions to try and provide some of that help. And that's why people go to churches and various sorts of NGO type of thing. And that's about the only way you can. Um, another approach is what you might call self-help. If an individual has a really clear plan in their lives, then the fact that it's going to take years to get through it, to, to complete that plan, doesn't matter because they have that sense of purpose and, and direction and you know that keeps you sane so I, I've come across no end of really quite horrible stories of people who started from positions of enormous disadvantage but they succeeded and the basic idea was they got a clear objective and they had a plan for achieving it even though it was going to take them five, ten years I mean, I've never forgotten meeting a young manager. I think when I met him, he was in his 30s. And he was working for someone like Safaricom, and he had a good job. And he told me his story. And it started with being about 10 years old and losing everybody in his family. Literally, the whole lot. There was nobody to look after him. So he was on the street. Wow. And for some reason, he got it into his head that he was going to stay in school and he was going to get scholarships to college and he was going to succeed. And so that lad, he lived uh, not far from Kisumu. Um, he, he used to get Changa in the evenings and, and take it out to the, the sugarcane cruise in the morning on his way to school. Mm-hmm. And then he'd take all his little bundle of coins to the school office and give some to them and he'd eat some of them and the rest bought the Chang'e for the night. And he got himself all the way through school and into college, running this little Chang'e business. <laughs> wow, wow. It's possible to succeed just on, if you like, willpower alone. Just having the insight that if you really graft and know what you're doing, you can get there. Wow. And uh, 
I think you've shared something that's very important that we take for granted, that if you don't have help in your direct uh, circle, there are organizations. And I think yes. that's what you mentioned. We alluded to our second point of learning how to be social with strangers, because yes. there's so many people out there that are actually looking to help, you know, uh, people that are underprivileged or people that uh, have challenges. And if people just learn how to talk and communicate, they might be surprised that yes. someone around them will give them the help that they're looking for. Yes, that's true. Although it must be said there is a bias. If you look around at the total number of institutions that have been set up to help young people, you'll find 90% of them are aimed at women and girls. That's true. There are a surprisingly small number aimed at boys. So, you know, you, it's an open playing field, if you like. If you were wanting to set up organizations like that, you're going to have not, a, not much competition. Well, I won't have much competition, but I also won't get much funding because unfortunately, just like you said it, right now we can do our research and pull up where there are UN bodies funding for girls, uh, yeah. anyone that has anything to do with a girl child right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And anything with a boy but child is virtually men. non-existent. Yes. So that is a challenge because at the end of the day, yeah. both boys and girls need the resources they need to grow and be healthy and competitive yes. so that we could be competent yeah. uh, partners to each other. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Chris Hart, for this conversation. It was very enlightening and uh, mind-blowing for me. And I hope to have uh, several other conversations. Now, if people want to reach out to you just to have a conversation with you or just to you know, have one-on-one -on -one sessions with you, where can they reach you? Well, the best thing is for them to just Google my name, really. If, if they just say Chris Hart, psychologist, Kenya, mm -hmm. pretty much all my contacts come up. And, and the, right at the top of the list will be my websites. There's a couple of them. Um, the best one is called couplescoaching.online and all my details on how to get in touch with me and so on are on there. All right. And uh, before we go, tell me, what, what are maybe three books that you're reading right now that are impacting your life right now or that have been instrumental for you? Oh, gosh. I'm afraid I read hundreds of books all the time. I don't <laughs> know that I would find it easy to pick one or two that have really impressed me. Okay, okay, just as, as I of need, this moment. I, I, I need um, notice of that question, to be honest. Okay, okay. I mean, the one, the, one, the one in the past that had the biggest impact on me, of course, was the, the CBT training manual, mm -hmm. how to do cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. Because that totally changed me, because I started doing it on myself, let mm -hmm. alone the fact that I used it in dealing with other people. Okay. And so all, all the typical psychological self-help books are worth yes. reading. They all give you some insight into how it all goes. All right. And before we go, you said CBT okay. mentions the connections between thoughts and feelings and behaviors. Would you just mind giving us just a quick summary? What does that mean? What's the connection between thoughts, feelings, and behaviors? Well... It's essentially, our lives are dominated by our thinking processes. All our behaviors are operated by our thinking processes. And a lot of those thinking processes can be very negative. 
the sort of thing that says I'm not I'm not good enough, uh, or something that happened to me in my past has made it impossible for me to succeed. Anything like that. So cognitive behavioral therapy is about unpicking all those influences on us, particularly the negative ones, and turning them into positive. That's basically what it's all about. Wow, wow. Thank you very much. I mean, you, you think about it. Every, everything you do, is, is, is all your behaviors are moderated by your thoughts. So you've got more control over your thoughts. You've got more control over your behavior and your emotions, your mental state. Wow. That's very okay. powerful. Thank you very much, Dr. Chris Hart. Thank you for your time. And uh, until next time. And, all right. Have a good day. Okay. You too. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the podcast conversation with my guest, Dr. Chris Hart. He is a relationship psychologist and the author of the books, Single and Searching, How to Find and Marry Mr. Right, Don't Panic, Life's Missing Manual 1, 2, and 3. They are available on Amazon.com. To find out more information about his work, check out his website at www.nyumbayangu.com and also couplescoaching.online. Check out the show notes. We have listed the resources discussed in our conversation at revengeoftheforsakengods.home.blog. If you have learned something from this, please do send me a tweet at revenge underscore gods. If you like this video, give us a thumbs up and let us know in the comment section below one takeaway that you've gotten and one thing that you can start doing in your life in order to transform it. Remember to subscribe to our channel and share with a friend if this has added any value to your life. And thank you for tuning into the podcast and see you next week. Enjoy your day.